You're so holy. You're so mighty. And we love you so much. We're so grateful for Jesus. We're so grateful that you sent him for us to die on the cross. Father, we're so thankful that you've given us a spirit of worship that we can come before you and break free of the bonds of this world, Father, to bond with you, Lord. And we thank you, Father, for an opportunity to gather together today to hear from your word, to be strengthened by it, to be helped by it, to be grown by it. And we thank you, Father, for being with us in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, a lot of times worship is the key to your breakthrough. The key to your breakthrough. There's storms that you may be going through. There's things that you may be facing. Praising God and worshiping Him is the key to getting that victory over that situation. We love that prayer, don't we? That our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What's the next part? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to be worshiping Him in heaven right? A lot of times we want that heaven on earth life that we've been promised. Guess what's a part of that? Worship is a part of that. Amen? So when we want that spirit of heaven in our lives down here, bring heaven down and worship him a little bit. If it makes you uncomfortable, do it a little more, right? Because that's just our flesh. That's our mind that's getting uncomfortable with it. Our spirits rejoice at the opportunity to worship our Father. Praise God. Well, welcome, welcome to Family Church, where we have the spirit of worship. But you can have that right wherever you are, because the Bible says that when you call on his name, he's there with you. And so uh, we just learn these things here so we can put them to practice in our own lives. Praise the Lord. Again, as uh, Reverend Jason said during the announcements, on behalf of Pastor Michael, Pastor Nancy, we want to welcome you. And just know this, Pastor Michael will be back next week. They are up this week in Canada, in Toronto, Canada, uh, receiving from Reverend Randy Greer up there, who we all get to receive from next month right here in Jamestown. Praise the Lord. And what we're going to do now in the service, we've spent time worshiping him in song. We're going to worship him with our finances now. This is just another way that we worship God according to the Bible. It's all in there. It's all in the scriptures. We don't have time to teach on all of it, but it is a scriptural thing to do to honor God, to worship him with our finances. And so we're going to do that. This is an opportunity for our church attenders and members and partners to to tithe to the place that God has called them to. And it's an opportunity for all of us to come and, and, and to worship him with our finances. So I've chosen for an offering scripture, Galatians chapter six. And I'm reading out of the King James, but we'll have it up on the screens there for you as well. It says this, be not deceived in verse seven, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. So this part of scripture is what we call the law of sowing and reaping. God established this at the beginning of creation. This is how he framed the world, that what we'd sow, we'd reap from. We know this naturally, that for farmers, you know, you plant a seed in the ground. If that's a corn seed, eventually a time's come that you're going to be able to reap corn, right? People that aren't even Christians, people that don't know the Bible have tapped into this. They know it. They, some of them call it karma. Some of them call it different things like that. And there's other spiritual connotations to that stuff. But when we're talking about the Bible, the law of sowing and reaping, it's saying that what I put into something is exactly what I'm going to get out of it. 
Praise God for sowing and reaping. Paul's clear that this is how the kingdom of God operates and we can put this into practice in our finances. We know that a lot of times if we're in need of something, the Lord will lead us to sow something in order to receive the thing that we need. A lot of us can testify that that's how he's worked for us before. You know this, that when you tithe, like Malachi 3.10 says to tithe, to to bring all of our finances into the storehouse, bring a tenth of our finances into the storehouse, that God would open up the windows of heaven. That's another form of sowing and reaping. It's bringing him what's his, but it's just putting into practice the scriptures. But we know this too. We love that part of the verse that sow and reap, that yes, I need something, so I'm going to put something in, believe God, and it's going to come back to me. But there's another part of these verses that sometimes we skip over there in verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There's usually a season between the planting and the harvesting. Naturally, we know that's true. Farmers go out, and again, I'm not a farmer, so I apologize to any farmers present today. But you plant your seed for a certain harvest at a certain time of year. Say you plant in spring because you want to harvest something in the summer or the fall. You don't plant in spring and expect to harvest that thing the next week. That's not how it works. There's a period of time in between. And what are we doing with that seed while it's in the ground? Well, you know this, farmers don't just plant for one week and then take a six-month vacation and then go out and harvest it. Farmers know that there's some of the hardest working people out there. They're out there every day on those fields, whatever it might be that they're harvesting, taking care of it, making sure that weeds aren't growing in, that infestations aren't coming in, and all the other things that farmers have to do so that we can have the good food that we have. There's a period of time where that seed has to be tended to. That period of time where you're not having the harvest from it, that's where the opportunity comes to grow weary in well-doing. I don't know about you, but I personally have a lot of seed in the ground financially that I've believed God to be able to sow that I'm in a period of waiting for that harvest to come to pass. All of us can raise our hands to that because we're, we're givers. We love to give. It's the spirit of God inside of us. You love to be a giver. But in those periods where you're waiting for something to come to pass, we cannot grow weary in that well-doing. What does that mean to not grow weary? That means to always be mindful of that seed that's in the ground, to always be aware of it with our faith, to never be speaking against it, to not go out and, you know, you might see when, the, when it starts to poke up just a little bit, oh, there's something there, there's something there, and you try to harvest it too soon. There's not enough yet. That wasn't the time that God appointed for it to be harvested. When we don't grow weary in well-doing, when we plan, when we're diligent with our seed after it's in the ground, that's when we'll see that harvest come to pass. What's due season? It's when God said the time is. I don't know what due season is for you. I don't know what it is for me. Sometimes I wish I knew what it was for me, and I'm sure you wish it knew what it was for you, but then we wouldn't be acting in faith, would we? And faith is what pleases God. So if you're in a season right now where you're believing God, where that harvest hasn't come forth yet, just trust him. Don't grow weary in it. It's coming forth. And if you're in a time where you need a harvest later on, seek him for the seed that you need to sow now. Because the time to sow isn't the time that you need to reap. We already want to have it in the ground. Amen. So we're going to be givers this morning according to the word. When we hear the word, it's right for us to give to that. But also when we have a church that we call our home, it's right for us to tithe there according to scripture. So uh, if you're online, you can give with us. There's an option there. Go to our website, fcfredonia.org. If you're here, we've got all these different ways that you can give. Offering envelopes uh, with cash, make checks payable to Family Church. We have the app there as well. Uh, You can text any amount to that phone number and give that way. Plenty of opportunities to get our seed into the ground. Amen. Let's give this morning. Father, we thank you for our local church. 
We thank you, Father, for a place that we can call our spiritual home, where we come from to receive of the word of God. And Father, we know it's right that when we receive of your word, it's right that we give unto that, Father, unto that work, and that you said that it's good to give unto the brothers and sisters of the faith. And so that's what we're doing here, Father. You have a plan and a purpose for this ministry, and it takes finances to accomplish that. And so we connect our faith with those things, that they all come to pass fully funded, Father. We thank you for every person here represented that according to Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all my need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. As the offering buckets pass by, we'll dismiss our kids down to their children's church program. You guys can all head downstairs now. I'm sure there's leaders waiting for you somewhere. And if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11 today. Mark 11. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? Aren't you thankful for the local church? I tell you what, getting up on a Sunday morning, knowing that this is the place that we get to come, that we get to hear from the word of God here, that we get to be strengthened, but also that we get to be together. God did not create the body of Christ to be isolated from each other. He didn't create our bodies to have a little pinky that's sitting over there against the wall by itself. It's going to die if it does that. It needs to be connected to something. That's how he made the body of Christ, that we could all be connected to each other. So we're in the right place this morning. You're connected here today. We're going to receive from the word of God this morning. In Mark 11, we're going to pick up in verse 12. You've probably read these scriptures once or twice before. It says, And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. But when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. Verse 14, And Jesus answered and said to it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. So we see here Jesus is experiencing something that we all experience from time to time. You may be experiencing it this very morning. You are having a Jesus experience today. You might be hungry. Wow, yay, the deep things, right? You might be having a spiritual experience just like the Son of God did right here in the book of Mark. If you're hungry this morning, Jesus was hungry. And he gives us an example because it's not just a matter of Jesus being hungry. He had a need in his life. He needed food. They weren't carrying food with them apparently at the time. We know from studying the scriptures that they had enough money to go out and buy food. But Jesus wanted to give us an example of how the supply would come to him. And we're grateful for this example because I don't know about you, but these verses have changed my life. And if you've never heard these scriptures before, they're going to change your life this morning. If you had heard them before, they're still going to change your life because it's still the word of God. Amen. God's made us a number of promises in his word. He's promised us salvation. He's promised us healing. He's promised us peace. He's promised us provision. But a lot of times, it's not just a matter of him promising those things that guarantees that they come to pass in our life. Jesus was raised as a Jew. The Jews were promised provision. God promised his people that if they would serve him, that he would provide for them, that they'd be the head and not the tail, blessed coming in and going out. Jesus knew all those scriptures. He knew them ahead of time. He knew what God had promised him as his son on earth, not as, the, not as God himself, but as a child of God, just like all of us here today. That was a promise. But he came up to a situation where the promise didn't look like it was being fulfilled. He was hungry and the supply wasn't where it was supposed to be. Well, we can learn something from this example because how many times have we come up to situations where it looks like it's supposed to be a certain way? The Bible says it's supposed to be a certain way, but it's not looking that way. 
Maybe, maybe you've never been. You all look at me like I'm crazy this morning. I have been there before in my life where the Bible says it's supposed to be A plus B equals C, and it's looking like A plus Z equals four squared over something else over here. Nothing's lining up with what it's supposed to look like. That's what it's looking like right here for Jesus. But his word is a firm foundation for us to stand on so that when those situations come up where the promises don't look like they're coming to pass for us, where it looks like we're coming up to the fig tree and it's empty and there's nothing on it and we're lacking and we're missing and that promise isn't being fulfilled, you've got symptoms in your body, you've got chaos in your life and in your marriage and in your family relationships and in your workplace where you don't even feel saved when you wake up in the morning. I mean, that's a promise that sometimes doesn't feel like it's being fulfilled, right? But the word says something different. So how did Jesus handle it when the situation didn't line up with what the word said? Well, he did some things for us. First, we saw in verses 12 through 14 that he spoke to the situation. But also, let's see what happened after that. In the morning, verse 20, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said to him, Master, behold the fig tree which you've cursed withered away. And Jesus answering said to him, have faith in God. For verily I say to you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Like I said, we saw Jesus had a need in his life. We've all had needs in our life from time to time. So how did he first do this? Well, first he looked for a supply, a supply that was supposed to be there as a child of God, as an Israelite. That was his promise that he would be fully provided for. And he went and the supply wasn't where it was supposed to be. We've been there before where there's supposed to be health in your body, but you're feeling symptoms. That's the same thing as what this fig tree was saying to Jesus in that moment where you've, needed a, you've had a need arise, maybe a bill came in the mail that you didn't have the money for, or there was a seed that you wanted to sow to a ministry, to a guest minister that was coming up, to Mission Sunday, whatever it might be, but the money wasn't there to be able to do that thing. That's the same thing that Jesus was encountering in this situation. Sure, he was just looking for dinner. It doesn't seem like a big thing, but we can take the truths that he established in this section of scripture and put them into practice for anything that we're going through in life. Anytime that our situation doesn't line up with what God says it should look like, right? So what did he do with that? In verse 14 is the answer for us. It says, Jesus answered it. He answered it. That word answer, if you don't know this, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek. And in the Greek, that word answer, if you define it, you look it up. It means to begin to speak, but always where something has been done or said to respond to. To begin to speak, but always where something has been done or said to respond to. Well, the tree didn't have a mouth. This wasn't some strange, supernatural, crazy tree. It was a regular fig tree, like you could probably go find wherever they plant and harvest fig trees. I don't know what section of the world. Obviously, they're over here, but I don't know where else they do figs. I just know that they sell them around here sometimes and in the stores. But wherever those fig trees might be, they're going to look the same that they did 2,000 years ago when this was written. That tree didn't have a mouth. But the Bible says that it was speaking, even though it didn't have a mouth. How was it speaking? By not being what it was supposed to be. A lot of times, the things that we're going through, your, your body will be speaking to you even if it's not saying anything. You wake up in the morning, you feel the tickle in the back of the throat. That's the empty fig tree. 
You go, to, you go to write the check for the thing that you need to write the check for and the money's not in the account. That's the empty fig tree. Your checking account's talking to you, right? There's times where we go through those things. When those happen, just like Jesus did, we have a responsibility to answer those situations. Because otherwise, Jesus could have just looked at the fig tree, saw it was empty, and went away lacking, went away without. He could have done that. He could have said, oh, I guess there's no figs on the tree. It must be the Lord's will that I don't have figs for dinner tonight. That's not what he said. He did something about it. He answered that tree as it's talking to him. What's the tree saying? Lack, not enough. There's not enough here. You're going to go hungry tonight. Sure, it's just, again, it's just a little thing. It's just a little meal. But that tree was speaking to him. But Jesus took something. He took action and he answered that tree. He spoke to it. So my question for all of us today is, what's our answer? What's our answer? Because there's things that will speak to us in life. There's things that we'll go through. There's storms that we'll face. The Bible says that we'll face those storms. And we'll look at that a little bit later. But when we encounter those situations that are in opposition to the word of God, how do we handle them? What do we do with them? We answer them. That's our responsibility as children of God. It's not just our responsibility. Excuse me. It's not just our responsibility You don't mind if I take a sip of water, do you? I just get so excited over the word of God. I mean, I do, but that's not, you know. It's not just our responsibility to act on these things, to respond to things like that. It's our privilege as children of God that God has placed in us the authority of God himself to be able to use our words to speak to situations and bring change to them. What an honor. You know, it's, it's great. It's good enough that we get to go to heaven when we die. Thank God that Jesus coming for me, dying for me on the cross, me believing that, that he died and rose again. We just celebrated Easter and Resurrection Sunday. Honestly, we can all say that that would have been enough. It would have been. You know, even if we had to get saved and then live the rest of our life as lowly worms down here, that's 80 years in the perspective of eternity to spend forever with him. That would have been enough, but he didn't leave it there. He didn't stop there. He gave us an authority card to exercise on the earth so that we can live in this life the way that God intended for us to live originally when he set Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Praise God. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what he purchased for us. And Jesus is giving us an example of how we can live that life as children of God. That when situations arise, that when the symptoms are in our body, that when the chaos is in the workplace or in the home or any one of those situations, that I can use my words, I can use my authority as a child of God to change that situation. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. And Jesus showed us that. He put that into practice for us. Faith is simply trusting God more than I trust the situation around me. That's all it is. We can can try and make faith real complicated if we want to. We can go down the list of the formula of how we're supposed to confess and say and believe and all these things. And we'll look at some of those things today because that is a word. But at the end of the day, faith is just believing God's bigger than what I'm facing. God was bigger to Jesus than the empty fig tree. God is bigger to each and every one of us than the symptom in my body. He's bigger to each and every one of us. He should be bigger to each and every one of us than that situation, than the wayward child that we don't know where they're at, whether they're serving God or not. He's bigger than that workplace situation that you just don't know how you're going to get through and still maintain your Christian name at the end of it. He's bigger than every one of those situations. If we'll put our faith as children of God into practice for that, we'll see change in those things.
Praise God. He gave us that privilege, that authority. So I want to look at three parts of what Jesus did when he spoke to the fig tree. First part, see, Pastor talked last week about how, you know, on a Sunday he likes to try and be pastoral and have a nice little intro, part one, two, three, and then a nice little conclusion. I always have those in here, but I don't have anything else that's trying to sneak in. It's just the pastor that's, that's there. So that's, it's easy for me to do intro, part one, two, three. So we're going to look at part one this morning. Uh, <clears throat> part one, what did Jesus do before he found the fig tree? What did he do before? Because if we want to live like Jesus did when he encountered the fig tree, how many know we need to live like he did before he encountered the fig tree? That's the way we're lining our lives up with what his looked like. Jesus was just an example for us of how we can live on earth. You can live the way that Jesus lived on this earth. He said, greater miracles than these will you do. This, Jesus, he was God, but he was man with the spirit of God inside of him. When we get born again, that same spirit resides in each and every one of us. And God's given us that authority to be able to live on earth just like Jesus did. I mean, we've been slaves to flesh and sin for so long that sometimes it's easier to listen to those things than it is to our spirits leading us. But if we'll be sensitive to our spirit, if we'll listen to it like Pastor Michael teaches us to be led by the spirit of God, the reason he teaches us that is so that we can live like Jesus lived on the earth. Jesus always was led by the Spirit of God. Every word that he spoke, every move that he made was led by the Spirit of God. And we can live that way too if we'll sow to our spirit and not live according to the flesh like we saw in Galatians earlier. But, so if we want to live like Jesus did, what did he do before he found the tree? <clears throat> well, we know this, that the Bible says that we're going to encounter storms and trials in life. James told us, the book of James tells us that uh, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse trials and trials and temptations. That means they're going to come. They're going to come. I'm not up here trying to, you know, be the, 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 the bad news media, trying to scare you, make you afraid that they're gonna, you're going to face things in life, just repeating what the Bible says. But God didn't tell us that in the words so that we'd live afraid of the things that were coming. He did it so that we'd be prepared for them, so that we wouldn't be caught unaware when they came, when we encountered those storms. You know, a lot less people die in natural disasters today than they did 100 years ago. Why? Because we have warning systems in place now. Tornadoes, people are aware of them at least a somewhat of a time before they come. You know, they can still, they're all over the place, so you do still hear of devastation, but those numbers are way down than what they were 100 years ago when there was no warning system. Hurricanes, they can predict their paths days in advance. And people can get out of those places and get out of danger's way. That's what God's doing in this. He's just warning us. Listen, there is an enemy out there. And the Bible says that his only goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And to pretend that he doesn't exist or pretend that I'm immune from it or that I'm never going to experience it and then be caught off guard when he actually comes after me, that's foolishness. Now, there's a lot of foolish Christians out there, though, who get caught by the enemy and they act like, oh, I didn't know this was going to happen. That's right here in the Word. God doesn't want us to be caught unaware. Now, I don't say these things to put us in fear of that, though, because that's not how God intended for us to live. We're not always to walk around with one eye behind our back. Is the devil there today? Is he going to get me today? That's not, that's not why God told us that. But he established some things so that we could prepare ourselves before those storms come to pass. When I was growing up, we had a wood stove in our house. That was our main source of heating in the house. And every, every fall, we would start to get truckloads of wood delivered to the house. Why? We knew winter was coming. You didn't have to be a prophet to figure that one out. You live in western New York, it's going to get cold and snowy. Well, you have to do some things to prepare for that. 
you know, now we have natural gas and, and radiator, and that's sure nice because we don't have to stack wood. I did not enjoy stacking wood as a child, but I'm really good at it because that was, I had, you had to do so much of it. But uh, my mom, if she were here, they would be waving their hippie hankies this morning at the hard time that I gave them having to stack wood every fall. I'm sorry that I gave you such a hard time. I go up now and I help them now to make up for the sinful child that I was. But but we would have to stack cords and cords of wood every summer, or every fall, both in the, the back porch area and then outside, and then you'd have to carry them in throughout the winter because you needed more for the wood stove. Well, the time to start doing that wasn't in the middle of the winter when the storm's raging, right? We know that it's gonna get cold. We know that it's gonna get snowy. You don't call the truck for the truckload of wood when there's four feet of snow coming down and it's zero degrees outside. You're gonna freeze. There's a lot of Christians, though, that they're sitting in their little spiritual homes that they built, and they're, oh, 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 I'm so cold, so cold. If only somebody would have told me it was going to be cold. It's right there in the Word of God. We don't have to face those situations and be caught like we didn't know that they were coming. Jesus, yes, he may not have known specifically that he was going to be facing lack at that moment in time, but the way that he prepared himself as a child of God for that moment brought so that he could walk in victory when he did encounter that trial. That's how God intends for each and every one of us to live. We know that Jesus was full of the word. He grew up in the church. When he was a, a, a preteen, he was in the church. He was teaching out of the scriptures. We, knew that he, we know that he knew the scriptures. Uh, we'll look at Luke chapter four, if you'll turn there with me. I was just looking at the time here, but we're good. <clears throat> Luke chapter four. Jesus was a student of the word of God. John chapter 1 says that he was the word of God, but it wasn't just him being the word. It mean, he also knew the word when he was a man on earth. He purposed to be a student of it. In Luke 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command that this stone be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, it is written, this man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain showed him unto all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, all this power will I give you in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will it, I give it. If you therefore will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get thee behind me, Satan, and here we see again, for it is written that you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only shall you serve. He brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you be the son of God, cast yourself down from here for it is written, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in your ways. And in all their hands, <clears throat> in their hands, they shall bear thee up lest at any time you shall dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said again, it is said, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. When the devil had ended all temptation, he departed from him for a season. So if we looked at Jesus earlier, we said he's the example of how we're to be victorious in this life. We see right here, it's with the scriptures, with the word of God. Romans 10, 17. I don't know if you knew this. This is a faith message. We're talking about faith. Faith is what's inside of us. Faith is the currency that God's given us as children of God. You're born again. When you're born again, you're given a measure of faith, the Bible says. And we can grow that faith or we can not take care of that faith. You know, I'm, I'm raising over quick here, but 
Our faith is the tool that God's given us to operate spiritually in this world. And Jesus here showed us when he, when he spoke to that fig tree, he was using his faith, his faith as a tool in that situation to curse that fig tree from the roots. The Bible says it withered up. Well, right here, where did that faith come from that he was able to do that? We can see it right here in these scriptures. He was a student of the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of God. So Jesus, being a student of it, knew what God's will was regarding certain situations. He knew where it said in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy, that if he would serve the Lord his God, which he did, and if he would not commit any of the sins, which he didn't commit because he was Jesus and he was perfect, that provision should belong to him. Well, provision still, uh, lack showed up. But he didn't just sit by and do nothing about that lack when it showed up. He said, no, this situation doesn't line up with Scripture. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, something's wrong. Our job as believers, when we come up to situations in our life that don't line up with what the Word of God says, is to do something about it. God did not, you look all through the Bible, especially you look in the Old Testament, God didn't raise a weak nation. He was strong in the Israelites. He wanted to show himself strong over and over again. The Israelites didn't, you know, piddly dink, walk out of Egypt in the middle of the night and try and hide from everybody. They boldly left that place. God demonstrated in Egypt so that they could be delivered from what they needed to be delivered from. God didn't call us to be weak just because we're not in the Old Testament anymore. He called us, when you see a situation that doesn't line up with the will of God, with the word of God, change it. Don't accept it. Don't just roll over and take it. That's not what God intended for us. He said that we ought to be living above certain situations. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That when I reinforce God in me, I can change those situations to line up with the will of God. But if I don't know what the will of God says, I'm not going to be able to change those situations to line up with it. That's how faith comes, by hearing the word of God, because now you're more sure of what God's will is than what the world's will or what the natural way looks like. Jesus knew that lack did not line up with the will of God. Because it didn't line up, he was able to address it by faith and bring change into that situation. That's how God's intended for each and every one of us to live. So get into the word. Know the word of God. Find these scriptures. How do you know which ones to find? You come to church every Sunday to learn them. <laughs> That's why we have church. The pastors of the church do not exist to pick me up out of the muck and the mire. They teach me how to pick myself up out of it. <clears throat> so that there's too many Christians out there that as soon as they face adversity, they just start calling everybody, posting prayer requests online. Help me, help me, help me. What am I going to do? What am I going to That's fine for babies, but God's called us higher than that. You can't live as a baby forever. We ought to know the word of God for ourselves so that when the situation comes, we can face it with victory. You know, when my son was born, my oldest son here, he's over here, Joshua, <clears throat> when he was born, a lot of you know my testimony, our testimony with that, that he was born, he wasn't breathing, wasn't moving. Uh, the doctor said that, you know, they basically, they, first they didn't think he was going to make it, and then when he did make it, they said he's going to be disabled for the rest of his life and everything like that. And we stood on the word of God. I don't have time to share the whole testimony this morning. But God's good. He delivered us from that. And my boys over here proof that the word works this morning. Praise God. But when he was first born, I go back to this every time when he was first born and I see him over on the table, 
you know, they, they take him, they take him over to the table. They're supposed to be cleaning him up and everything. And he's not, it's not right. I knew enough about, you know, I watched shows. I wanted to be prepared. I also just think human life is fascinating to me. The body is fascinating to me, how God created us. And I wanted to know what was going on. And, you know, I know, okay, this is what's supposed to happen. And then he's supposed to cry. Well, they lay him on the table. Number one, he's not crying. Okay, red flag. Number two, he's turning all sorts of colors that humans aren't supposed to be. He's looking like a Smurf over here, right? And then next thing you know, he's looking like Thanos from, from Marvel. I mean, he's turning purple. First, he, he just went through the whole gamut of color spectrum on the table. And I'm looking over, and I look over at the nurses, and they're swatting him around. I mean, his body's just lifeless, absolutely lifeless. His limbs are just flailing all over the place, no crying, no moving. And it's, of course, quiet in the room, other than the beeping of all the monitors and everything. And the nurse looks up at the other nurse and shakes her head. Well, I, had a, I needed something in that moment. I needed God in that moment because that situation was not lining up with the word of God. Word of God says that my seed would go forth on this land, right? That it would be blessed and be a mighty seed upon the earth. And that, a child dying on the newborn, as a newborn on the table like that, that's not the will of God. Well, I knew the word enough to know that. But how many know in a time like that where the rubber hits the road and you need action at that moment, that was not the time. I couldn't say, okay, everybody, time out. Let me grab my Bible. Let me find some scriptures to stand on in this moment. Let me call my pastor and see what I'm supposed to do right now. No, I needed to act. That was not the time that I could start digging and figuring out what I needed to act on. I needed to act in that moment. Well, years before that, we used to have guest ministers come in. I don't know if you remember the Siddiqui's. Uh, probably some folks that have been around for a while remember the Siddiqui's, wonderful ministry couple. They would come in and teach us, and they had a testimony, just a tremendous healing ministry. They had a testimony about something that they were going through with, I think, uh, one of their children, and they couldn't get to the bottom of it, couldn't get to the bottom of it, and they were releasing faith, but nothing was changing. So finally, the Lord led them to go to a doctor to get diagnosed what was going on with their child. And so they did that. They went to the doctor. Uh, you know, they were trying to stand in faith and not go. And a lot of times that's fine. That's good. That's faith. But if the Lord leads you to go, go. Get the help that you need to get. So they went. They got a name for it. And when they went back to the Lord, he said, good. Now that you have a name, you know that you have a name that's above that name. And they were able to release their faith and say that I have a name. There's a scripture that says, I have a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus, Reverend Jason said it during worship, every knee should bow, tongue confess that he is Lord. And they took that name of Jesus that was greater than the name of that disease and they put that into practice. So I remember reading that when I was a young adult and that just stuck on my heart because I thought, wow, that's, that's how you do it. That's the real deal. You know, they knew that. And that scripture, when I was looking at Joshua on the table, that scripture is what came to my heart that at the name of Jesus... And I spoke, and I spoke to his body on the table, and I said, in the name of Jesus, you breathe. And, and he started crying and, and screaming and turning white ginger, all the colors that he is now. You have been every color of the rainbow, pretty much. Wow. But that, like I said, that wasn't the time for me to start finding out that verse. Could I have told you exactly where it was in the Bible? No. I can't even do it right now unless I go and look it up this morning. I know, so carnal, you can throw your stones at me later. But I know it's in there. Did you know this? Maybe this will help somebody this morning because it set me free once upon a time. When the Bible was written, there weren't chapters and verses. It was just the word of God. It's more important that you know exactly what it says than you know where it is. 
we can get in, so, in, in bondage over that sometimes and say, oh, I don't know where the scripture's found, but I know it says that, but that doesn't work because I don't know. What does the reference matter? You know it's in there. You know he spoke it. You know, my wife says a lot of things. I can't point out the exact day and time that she said it. <laughs> I know wives, you have that gift. You can point out. <laughs> I'm sure she told me to take out the trash at some point, but... You want me to look back and find the exact reference? I can't do it, but I know she said it. God, God is honoring his word. If we'll remember, just know it. Just know his character, know his spirit that it's in there. Know that he's bigger than what we're facing. That's enough. That's enough. We don't need to get into bondage about the specifics and the little things, right? Praise the Lord. I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that set some husbands free. I don't know what it helped this morning, if it's for anybody, but praise God. So we need to be prepared ahead of time just like Jesus was, to know God, to know his character, spend time in the word so that you know the kind of God that he is and what he'll do when the rubber meets the road. When you come up to that lack tree and you don't have time to stop and turn and figure out what you need to figure out. There are times where we face situations where we can pause and say, okay, let me, let me reinforce myself a little bit before I try and tackle this. But sometimes we don't have the luxury of having the time to do that. We ought to be prepared for when those times arise. So the next thing that Jesus did during the storm, we saw this, he answered it, he spoke to that tree, that is, it was speaking to him. But I want to look at two things he didn't do first, probably only, we already looked at what he did. Hebrews 11.3, just for the sake of time, you can put this on the screens there, it says, now faith is the substance hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. The first thing Jesus didn't do when he encountered a situation that didn't line up with the will of God, he didn't keep his mouth shut. He wasn't silent. And a lot of times, as believers, we need to be reminded of this. Because we can come up against storms, we can come up against situations, and we think, oh, I'm casting my cares, like the Bible says, and we just clam up. That's not faith. If we're studying Jesus and the life of Jesus, being shut up and silent is not faith. Nothing will change if we're silent. We saw Mark 11, 20, 23 through 24, that whatsoever I say is what shall come to pass. I have to open my mouth, just like Jesus did. He didn't look at that fig tree, you know, the scripture doesn't say Jesus saw the fig tree that it had no leaves on it, shook his head and walked away. He didn't do that. He stopped and he brought the situation that wasn't in line with the will of God in line with the will of God according to his scriptures, according to his words. He used his words to do it. As believers, our words are the things that will change what we need to change in our life. And if we're silent, if we shut up, if we clam up when that storm starts rising, that's not the will of God to bring, the, bring victory to pass in the situation. We looked at Hebrews there, said the worlds were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. When Jesus spoke to that tree, he was so sure that what he had said was going to come to pass that he could say it and walk away. Whew, what an example of faith for us. How many times do we go, we say, we keep looking back, is it working yet? Is it, is it working yet? Is anything happening yet? Folks, I'm up here. I'll say it of myself. That's not faith, Scott. That's not faith. That's not faith. 
that's wondering if it's going to work. Faith is dropping it and walking away. Jesus did not turn back to check it. In fact, he was so unconcerned with it, the carnal disciple had to turn his head back towards it afterwards. Thank God for Peter. Aren't you? If Peter had not opened his sanguine mouth right here, we wouldn't have Mark 11, 23, and 24. Sanguines change the world. There you go. <laughs> Praise God. There's hope for all of us, or at least those of us that like to just have fun and goof around all the time. Praise God. So we see, there we go. <laughs> This faith that Jesus used when he spoke to that fig tree is the same faith that God himself used when he made the worlds, when he created. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. He, uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters, and God said... Let there be light, and there was light. In Mark eleven twenty two, which we read earlier, it says, have, the faith, have faith in God. You read that up in the Greek, in the context, it literally says, have, the faith, have faith like God has faith, or have the God kind of faith. When we speak, when we use our words to change things, we're just putting into practice the same thing that our daddy already did when he made the earth. When he looked down on the earth after it was created, and we're not going to go into all the, the pre-Adamic race and all that Bible history stuff that you know, probably have no idea what I'm talking about. That's fine. You don't need to know all that. All you need to know is after the world was created, there was a time where it was, in the Hebrew, the, the words are tohu and bohu. You came, you're learning Greek this morning, you're learning Hebrew this morning. Wow, you are just getting such a thorough education of, of Bible words, language. <laughs> Apparently not English ones, but the Bible ones. But when, when the earth was in, in that form, tohu and bohu, it meant it was chaos. God looked down at the earth from heaven and there was no potential for life here. There was no potential for e any one of us to come forth. But God already knew us at that point. He knew that he had a plan for each and every one of us in that room, in this room this morning. So in order for that plan to come to pass, to line up with the will of God, he had to do something. God had to speak. And he saw that chaos and what did he do to change it? He didn't roll up his God genie sleeves and say, I'm God and I'm going to start to change things. No, he set an example for us. He spoke. That same faith that Jesus told us in Mark eleven twenty two to have, that's the same avenue that God will allow us to change the chaos in our lives. That when things don't line up, like we can't, we can't see, we know that the end is supposed to be good because the Bible says it, but the current doesn't look like what the end is going to look like. Bible says that he works all things together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Well, we know that the end's good. We know that right now it doesn't feel so good. What do we have to do to change that? Our words. Just like God did. He knew that the end of the earth was going to be triumphant. He knew that his son was going to come, was going to destroy the devil once and for all. Thank God he knew that, but he had to make some changes for that to come to pass. What's the end supposed to be about your situation? If you're feeling lack, the Bible says you're supposed to have prosperity and increase, and provision, and wealth, and be able to live comfortably in this life, and experience the joys of life. If you're walking around sick all the time, and you're feeling every symptom, and you have chronic illnesses, and things like that, that doesn't, that's chaos, that's tohu and bohu, that's not lining up with the will of God. So what do you do in that situation? God said here, and that actually in the Hebrew, where he says, let there be light, we know this, it means light be. 
you point at your sick body and you say, health, be. You point at your empty checking account and you say, increase, be. Use just like God did. That's how he orchestrated faith for us so that we can change our lives on this earth. Jesus was not silent. He didn't just sit back and wait for it to come to pass. He did something about it. Whatever the things are that you're needing in your life, you're believing for, you're standing for, don't be silent about it. If God had stayed silent, the earth would still be in chaos today. I know sometimes it feels a little chaotic out there, but it was not like it was back in the Tohu and Bohu. If, if God had stayed silent, we never would have saw a change in that. If Jesus would have stayed silent, people would have gone to hell because he wouldn't have been able to fulfill the plan that he was supposed to fulfill. This situation was just a fig tree, but everything that he came up against, he used his words to line those situations up with the will of God. That's how he intended for us to live this life too. So we know it's not his will for us to be silent, but at the same point, oh, let's see. Let's look at, I just love this one, Psalm 32. You don't need to turn there because we're going to read it in the message translation. Pastor Michael has said this before. You've heard this quote. Maybe you haven't, but it's a good one. The greatest act of faith is for the believer is to repent when they've missed it and stand back up like they never missed it. The greatest act of faith isn't believing God for the miracle that you need in your life. It's not believing God for, you know, to get over the cold or whatever it might be. Those are, those are great acts of faith, thank God, but the greatest is when we miss it. And how many know we all miss it? But thank God for 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, that after I've missed it, I can stand back up before him, oh, and come before him as a righteous child, even though I made a mistake at some point. Thank God that we, we have that, 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 by the blood of Jesus, that we can live that way. David, in the Old Testament, he missed it big time. We know his story with Bathsheba, and he missed it a bunch of different times. But he also, he gave us examples in his missing it, because the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. So we can learn some things from David. Psalm 32 and verse 3. Remember, we don't want to keep silent. David kept silent after he missed it, and this is what it was like for him. When I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became day-long groans. I love David's drama in his right. Oh, he's such an artist and a musician with his dramatic words and his feelings and everything. Oh, it's all just out there. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. And then I let it all out. I said, God, I'll come clean about my failures. Suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. These things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. When all hell breaks loose and the dam bursts, we'll be on high ground, untouched. David here is saying, when I was silent, I went through hell. When you're facing the storms of life, folks, when the things that we're going through, and I, I, know, from, I, I know in my own life and my experience, I have faced this time and time again, where it gets almost so overwhelming that your instinct is just to curl up and just to be quiet. And you can be tricked into thinking that we're exercising faith and patience and casting our cares and all those things by doing so. But if we didn't release faith in the first place, that's just fear masquerading as faith. And there's no victory in that. There's no help in that. There's no, there's no you know, golden pot at the end of the rainbow in that situation. But if we'll speak like Jesus spoke, we'll see the change that we need to see in those things. The other thing Jesus didn't do was he didn't talk about the need that he had. He spoke to it. 
He didn't talk about the empty fig tree. He didn't turn around to the disciples and say, look at this empty fig tree. I'm hungry, but there's no figs on this tree. What am I going to do for dinner now? Jesus didn't get hangry. You know, I don't, I don't think he got hangry. I mean, he was a man, but I don't think he got hangry. But, you know, he didn't stop and complain about it. He didn't drop to his knees and start complaining. God, Father, you sent me to this stinking planet, and you said that if I... And he didn't start whining. Now I'm hungry, and there's no food. He didn't start complaining about it. He didn't throw fit about it. He didn't go to God whining or anything. No, he took his authority, and he spoke to that mountain. When we're facing something, that's not the time to start talking about how big the problem is. You know, I have faced storms in my life. I refuse to moan and groan and acknowledge and make the storm bigger than it actually is. Do you notice how the news media likes to do that? That they'll, I mean, you think that a thunderstorm is the next, is the next apocalypse if you watch the Weather Channel. I mean, I mean, they'll tell you, you know, giant flood ravages and it's like a little creek and they'll blow things up. That's how the enemy works. He'll make it seem and he doesn't need your help to make your storm bigger than it is. There's a lot of times we team up with the enemy and we're walking down. Look at how big that thing is. Oh, gosh, devil, that's a really big mountain you threw at me right there. Who's in your arm? Jesus is over here saying, why are you walking with him? Kick the devil off your side, go over here to where God is and walk in line with him. We don't, we don't need the devil. The devil doesn't need our help to make our lives hell. But too many times we give it to him. How do we do that? By speaking against it. I want to go to this verse. I have time. I mean, pastor usually goes another like a little bit longer than this. So, but this verse of scripture is so good. Luke chapter one. <clears throat> Luke chapter one. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, but we'll have it up on the screens too if you don't. Our faith's getting strengthened this morning, amen? Praise the Lord. Luke 1 and verse 5 said, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, one of the course of Abia, <clears throat> and his wife of, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. Skip down to verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness. And many shall rejoice at his birth. Well, this is a great promise. This is now, Zacharias is learning the will of God for the situation in his life. The will of God is for them, a barren couple, to be able to have a child. He's now, this is an angel of the Lord that's appeared to him. And of course, we know this was John the Baptist. And you can read about what John the Baptist was supposed to do and what he did. And how he was the forerunner of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so, Zacharias here, he now has the will of God over the situation. So, Zacharias's right response would have been, you remember when the, when the angel came to Mary, told her that she was going to have a child? What did she do? She pondered it in her heart, and she said, according to your will, Lord, be it unto me. That would have been Zacharias's correct response. But we're going to rejoice this morning that our stuff is not written in the Bible for someone to read 2,000 years later when we missed it. Zacharias missed it in verse 18. says, he said to the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is well stricken in years. 
And the angel answering him, <laughs> I'd love to, I can't wait to get to heaven and watch this one on replay. Here's a nine foot angel coming before him saying, you and your barren wife are gonna have a child. And Zechariah says, nah, I'm too old, man. <laughs> How are you gonna look up at a nine foot angel and tell him he's wrong? I'll tell you how, the same way that you look at the word of God and you see lack in your checking account and you say, but God, it's the same way. I'm not going to throw stones at Zacharias. I've done the same thing. It says, I am Gabriel and stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to speak unto you and to show these glad tidings. And behold, <laughs> I love this, you shall be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because you didn't believe my words which shall be fulfilled in their season. This is how God feels about wrong speaking about his will. Yes, it's better to not be silent, but it's better to be silent than to be saying the wrong thing. Zacharias here knew the will of God. He got the will. He got, don't you wish you could get a direct delivery of the will of God like that sometimes? But it still wasn't enough. And Zacharias in that situation, he saw the mountain, the mountain insurmountable, that there was no way his wife could have a baby. They were too old. It was too much. It was too big. There wasn't any way that God would be able to do this for them. And he looked at that and he talked about instead of what the delivery, instead of speaking to that mountain in line with the will of God, he talked about how big the mountain was to the will of God. And God had something to say about that. He sent Gabriel, I bet Gabriel loved this moment. He just said, you have the opportunity to believe God for a miracle right now, and you're going to talk like that? You're dumb. You can't speak. And for the next however many months of his wife's pregnancy, Zacharias could not speak because it was more important that he not say anything than he speak against the will of God. That's how important it is to God about the things that we're believing for, the mountains in our life, that we don't reinforce the mountain that we don't talk about how big the mountain is. You may feel the symptoms in your body. That's fine to acknowledge them and to say, if you need to go to a doctor, you say, yes, I have felt this in my body. That's fine to do. But always, always, always follow that up with the word of God. Always follow that up with, but the Bible says that I'm healed. You know, you don't have to look like a crackpot to your doctor either. You know, I'm not saying you go out there and, you know, start becoming, can I say that? I said it. She's laughing. Well, can't take it back now. You can't. You know, you don't have to, we don't have to be weird about this stuff. You go into the office and start proclaiming, my God has said that, you know. Listen, you have your own little times with the Lord where you need to, but reinforce the attitude of faith all the time. Go for help when we need help, but we don't need to be reinforcing our mountains. Some of us could do good with being struck dumb by an angel sometimes. <laughs> Some of us could, but speaking our mountains... Oh, goodness, where am I? If we have talked about our mountains, just repent and move on. Speak right about it from now on, right? If we've missed it, that's what 1 John 1, 9 is for. God, oh, I talked about how we don't know how we're going to get the money. We talked about how we don't know, you know, I, will I ever be healed from this thing? Will I ever be over this thing? Will I ever be delivered from this workplace situation? I've gone home and complained to my spouse about how bad it is at work and blah, 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 blah. I'm sorry I missed it, Lord. Will you forgive me? He does. He's faithful, move on, but change. Use our words the right way, right? Praise God. Now, the last thing we'll see here, part three, three, one, two, three, three, part three, is what did Jesus do after he used his words? So we know he built himself up on the word of God, and now he exercised that faith by speaking. What did he do afterwards? 
He said in verse 22, go back to this one again, have faith in God. He praised God. He kept the attention he gave God, the glory. He praised God for the victory and for the breakthrough in that situation. Whatever we're going through, if we will keep our attention on him, we'll guaranteed victory. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Well, we like that part, right? We can pray. We're a praying church. We can pray till the cows come home. We like to pray. Praying's good. We can keep praying. But as Pastor Michael has said, we've seen people go down praying. Go down because why? They don't know how to turn off the avenue of trying to do it myself. Praising puts the attention on him. Praising forces me to take my attention off of what's going on out here. We can get so legalistic with our faith, with was I in the word enough? Do I know enough scripture? Did I confess enough? Did I, did I, did I? Who's, who's the focus in that? It's I, it's me. Did Jesus go back and start examining that afterwards? No, he just did it. He moved on and then he gave God glory for it. That's how we're to act. After we release our faith for it, we just thank him, praise him. Just so you know, we're learning about the spirit of worship this morning while we're in a time of worship. Some of us need to spend more time doing that than we are trying to confess away our problems. Have yourself a little worship service in your living room, in your car. Just magnify him and praise him for the things that he has done. What has he done? He saved you. If you, got, if you can't think of anything else, start there. You're not going to hell. Oh my goodness. I was on the phone with Reverend Rich Walker a few weeks ago. He's our, uh, you know, they started the church over in Burgos, Spain. And we were believing, we were praying together for some things over the phone. And I'll tell you what, that man knows how to put Philippians 4, 6 into practice. Because I thought, I have never done this verse before the right way after I prayed with him on the phone. Because we started off the prayer and he said, you know, Lord, I hope he doesn't mind that I'm sharing this again. I can't take it back now. You know, He started off, you know, Lord, we have, we have some things that we're believing you for. We want some wisdom on things, and we were praying about certain direction on things. And as we did, uh, he said, you know, but Lord, you said first that we should praise and give thanks. And he just started, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that I'm a child of God. Thank you that I'm not going to hell. And I'll tell you, on that phone, for me and him, how many ever thousands of miles away, we had a little revival service right there. Why? We didn't need a worship team to do it. No offense. We didn't need any of that stuff. All you need is to magnify him. Yeah. Takes our attention off of the situation. You can stir yourself up. A lot of us need to do more stirring of ourselves and less trying to cross every faith T and dot every faith I. Just praise. Just like Jesus did here. To him it was no big thing because he was in communion with his father. Faith becomes a big thing when we try and take it upon ourselves to do it. We'll just magnify him, take our eyes off of this stuff and look at him. We get heaven's perspective on it. We're guaranteed to get to the other side of it. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we fill up on the word, fill up with praise. And the thing that we need victory over, it's guaranteed to be ours. Speak to our fig trees. We'll see change come to pass. Amen. Praise the Lord. Why don't we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word, Father. Thank you that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Father, thank you that you've given us the keys to victory in this life. Lord, we know that you told us that faith, living by faith, is how we please you, Father. And Lord, we want to be pleasing to you. We know that you love us regardless, but Father, we want to also live a life that's pleasing to you. And to do that, we live a life of faith. Thank you, Father, for giving us the keys to this life here that we can live and use that faith and build our faith and grow it 
and to show us how to use it, Father, so that we can live this life victoriously as you intended for us to. We thank you so much for your word that helps us do that. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give an invitation to everyone in this place and those watching online. We talked about how life is supposed to line up with the will of God, and it takes our words to bring those things to pass. Well, the will of God is for you to go to heaven when you die. When you pass from this world, from earth, when you die here, you'll go of one to two places. You'll either go to heaven or you'll go to hell. When you pass from this world, one of those two places is waiting you. But you have a part to play in which one you end up in. They're both eternal. They're both forever. One is forever with Jesus. The other is forever separated him with sorrow and damnation and suffering. It's a real place and it's not a place you want to go. And it's not the will of God that you go there. So I stand here this morning telling you that the will of God is for you to go to heaven. But just like Jesus knew that the will of God was for him to be provided for, you have to use your words to bring that to pass in your eternity. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you'll believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, you shall be saved. You'll be born again, what the Bible calls, and guaranteed a ticket to heaven for all eternity. If this morning you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never said that prayer of faith that I want to be saved, I want that guaranteed ticket to heaven, I'm going to give you an invitation here to do so. I'm going to ask you in a minute to raise your hand, and you need to know that when you do that, I'm not going to make you come up front, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, I just want to give you a chance to acknowledge you, and we'll all together, so no one feels singled out, we'll all together pray that prayer where we make Jesus the Lord of our life. And if you already believe that, you're just reinforcing what you already know to be true. So if you're here this morning, you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. If you need to say, I want to release faith so that my eternity lines up with the will of God, go ahead and raise your hand now. Again, just me looking around this morning. Praise the Lord. If you're on live stream, don't click off yet. Stay tuned. If you need to make this decision, it's for you too. I want to give another invitation this morning. Maybe you've already decided once upon a time that you want to be a child of God, that you want to go to heaven. You made Jesus your Lord and Savior. You got born again, but you've stepped away from him. Well, just like we saw in the book of 1 John, that if you'll confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse you. It's not too late. You can come back home to him. If you want to rededicate your life to God this morning, you want to come back home, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Praise the Lord. Again, just me looking around, but I want to make sure we have an opportunity for everyone. Your eternity is at stake. Your eternal destiny is at stake, and all it takes is a simple prayer, believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I don't see any hands in this place, but if you're on live stream, it's not me seeing your hand that gets you saved. We saw that. It's believing in your heart, confessing in your mouth with your mouth. So if that's you and live stream, you need to make that decision. Wherever you are, you simply close your eyes, bow your head, and pray to the Father. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you that he died for me, that he rose again so that I could be saved, and I make him the Lord of my life. When you do that and you believe it, you're guaranteed that ticket. You've changed your destiny with your words. And if you do that, make sure that you contact us, let us know so that we can help you get started on your new walk with the Lord. Well, you can lift your heads, open your eyes, praise God. Aren't you thankful for the word? Thank God. I'm so thankful for it that we don't have to live life as it comes, that we can change it to be in line with God's will for our lives. Amen.
Praise the Lord. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week this week. Remember, we don't have corporate prayer tomorrow. We don't have Word and Spirit on Tuesday night. Uh, but Pastor Michael will be back here next Sunday at 10 a.m. So be here for that and be blessed by it. And I don't think we have anything else this morning. So you are dismissed. <laughs>